You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Father, we pray that you would guide our time in your word. Allow us to understand the truths. Enable me, your servant, to deliver a message that is true to the text. But more importantly, hide me behind the cross of Jesus and allow Jesus to be glorified in this moment. And let the, the Spirit of God minister to our hearts and enable us to not only understand this text, but Lord, live according to what we discover here. We thank you for the eternal truths that are found in Scripture, and we pray now that you would bless this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point number one, you killed the source of life. Well, that is not a happy sentiment for this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Um, but I want to begin where the apostles began as they were explaining in the book of Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are preaching to the Jews and to the Jewish leaders especially. And they are saying to this crowd, and they're saying, you killed the source of life. And again, we've got to start with the bad news before we can get to the good news. And the bad news is, when Peter and John were preaching to the Jews who were gathered that day 2,000 years ago, and he said, you killed the source of life, I want you to understand that he was speaking to a specific audience, but you and I are indirectly linked to that audience. Let me recap a little bit of what I shared on Good Friday. I know some of you were unable to come on Good Friday, but uh, I said on Friday night at our Good Friday service that, that I'd be telling the rest of the story today. And praise God, there's more to the story than just the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to that rest of the story in a moment. But if you were not here on Friday, let me just share with you a little bit about what we discussed on our, our Friday service, I mentioned that the cross of Jesus is evidence in my mind and in my heart that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is truly the Son of God. And the reason why I say that is because it is virtually undisputed, even by scholars and skeptics today, um, people who have studied the New Testament even longer than I have as a pastor, there are skeptics who have studied the New Testament, trying to, to find loopholes and problems with it. And they have come and they have said that Jesus of Nazareth, there was a historical figure who uh, approximately 2,000 years ago died on a cross, a Roman cross, in just outside of the city of Jerusalem. The skeptical scholars will grant that those facts are true. And so with that background, we have to think, okay, so if that is true, then what is the significance of that? Why does that matter for us today? Well, the reason why it matters is because if Jesus truly died on the cross 2,000 years ago, then that means something about who he is. That tells us something about his character. It tells us, first of all, that maybe he was a liar. Maybe he was a liar. Maybe Jesus lied about the whole thing. Maybe Jesus lied that he was the Son of God. 
Maybe Jesus lied that he was the Messiah. And there are some people today that believe that maybe he was a liar. All right? But as I look at the cross, the cross tells me something different. The cross tells me that Jesus, if he was a liar, that he stuck to his lie through circumstances that none of us would have been able to endure. If Jesus lied, then that means he had a crown of thorns jammed onto his, onto his head. He had a flogging that would have killed most people. And then he was marched to Golgotha and was placed on a tree and nailed to that tree and hung there trying to breathe, trying to catch a breath, and ultimately died there. And you're trying to tell me that the most logical explanation is that Jesus was a liar. Well, it doesn't add up. Because if you were going to stick to your lie with that kind of commitment, then I think at some point, with the thorns being jammed down on your head or the nails being in your, you know, at some point you're going to say, hey, wait a second, I'm sorry, I can't go through with this. It, it was all a big misunderstanding. I was lying. So that doesn't really make sense. Well, Jesus may have been a liar. Some people claim that. Jesus... Maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was a lunatic. That's, that's the ex explanation of some. Because honestly, Jesus did make some pretty crazy statements. But when you look at Jesus' teaching, and, and you've got it right in front of you. You can look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read what all the apostles said about Jesus. You can even read about what happened after Jesus died and rose again about how all of these people, even Paul himself, had been a skeptic, and yet because he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was changed. Uh, you can read about the centurion, who literally was being unpatriotic to his Caesar when he saw Jesus die on the cross, and he said, truly this man is the Son of God. I mean, he could lose his life for making a statement like that. To say that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's a, a Roman centurion making that kind of a claim. And if you think of all of the rest of the world today, 2,000 years later, this movement is still going. Some estimate that about a third of the population of the world uh, believe to be uh, Christians. That they follow Jesus in some way. Um, they claim to be Christians. Uh, so that's a third of the world. And then another third of the world are of all kinds of other religions, like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. And I can't point to any one of those religions and find any religion that is disrespectful of Jesus. If you ask an, uh, a Muslim what they think of Jesus, they'll say, we honor Jesus as a great prophet. If you ask a Hindu or a Buddhist what they think of Jesus, they're going to say, we revere Jesus as a great guru. He's a, a great teacher. We put him up there with all of our other gurus. Now, they're not going the rest of the way and thinking of him as the son of God, but the rest of the religions of the world have great respect for Jesus. How could they have that kind of respect for a lunatic? Bruce Metzger, and I pointed out this quote on Friday, but again, I'm trying to tie this in to our discussion today. Bruce Metzger, a scholar, a theologian, he said that it has often been pointed out that Jesus' claim to be the only Son of God is either true or false. 
That's logic, right? We're, we're using reason here. Now, if it is false, he either knew the claim was false or he did not know that it was false. In the former case, he was a liar. In the latter case, he was a lunatic. No other conclusion, he says, beside these three is possible. C.S. Lewis said it this way, he's either, Lord, he's either Lord or liar or lunatic. All right? There's no other conclusions. And the cross that Jesus died on is the evidence that we need to see what is the character of this Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we're talking about? Are we talking about a liar who is so committed to his lie that he's even willing to die an excruciating, painful death? Or is he a lunatic that he's so crazy that he just is deluded and believes that he's the Messiah? He believes he's the Son of God, but in actuality, he's a charlatan. And he's, he's just crazy. And yet, how can the vast majority of people who look at his life and look at his teachings, they can look at him and they don't see a lunatic. They see a wise man. They see a great prophet. They see, they revere him. They respect him. If he's crazy, you can't look at anything he said. And yet so many are enamored by the life of Jesus. I mentioned C.S. Lewis a minute ago. C.S. Lewis had been an atheist. And yet, because he looked at the Gospels, he saw the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and as a result, he could conclude no other thing but that this truly is the Son of God. And I understand that maybe some of you are not yet ready to accept that Jesus is the Son of God, but I have to ask you to look at the cross. Look at what Jesus did on the cross, and look at his life leading up to the cross and see that he cannot be a liar. He cannot be a lunatic. We must accept him as Lord of lords Amen. and King of kings. Yes. Amen. And so with that in mind, I bring you back to Acts chapter 3 verse 15 where shortly after Jesus died and rose again, Peter and John are standing in front of a big crowd. And they say to them, you killed the source of life. See, Jesus truly is the Son of God. He really is the source of life. It says in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus. All things that are created, everything that has breath, everything that has life, even the inanimate objects, everything has been created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. It's for him, his name. It says in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, verse 2, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in verse 3, it says, then God said, let there be light. And in John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word. See, 
God spoke the world into existence. And in John 1, that uh, eternal word is given flesh. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's referring to Jesus. And in fact, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the one from the Father. And so as we look at Jesus, we see that he truly is the source of life. So if we think of Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings, and we see him as the source of life, then brothers and sisters and, and anyone who is not a Christian, I have to ask you to take a hard look at this phrase. Because it wasn't just the Jews, it wasn't just the Romans who crucified him. You may not have been the one to jam that crown of thorns down on his head. You may not have been the one who had the hammer who nailed that nail into his hands and feet. But you are every bit responsible for killing the source of life. And I can think of no other more colossal blunder than the mistake you and I made in killing the source of life. Have you ever done something stupid? <laughs> and, and I'm talking about things that, uh, that you just wish you could take back and maybe you regret it. Yes. Well, this is one of those things. It's not just one of those things. This is the supreme blow up. This is the kind of blunder that is just so messed up that there is no recovery. See, you killed the source of life because you are a sinner. You and I are sinners who have disobeyed God. We did not acknowledge God. We didn't care about God. We would have just minded our own business and gone on our own way apart from God. And that's who we are. We've sinned. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are lost. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. So we are dead. And, and by the way, if you are dead, there's no way you can bring yourself back to life, right? There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to, uh, to pay for the sins that you committed. You killed the source of life. There's no coming back from that. You made that mistake. You disobeyed God. You broke his laws. You violated his will. And as a result, you deserve the, the death penalty. That's what you deserve. You killed the source of life. I killed the source of life because of my sins. If there was anyone in this room who had never sinned, then I could look to you and I could say, hey, except for you. You, you didn't kill the source of life. Congratulations. I'm so glad for you. Um, but, but no, we have all sinned. Um, I, I can promise you, husbands, wives, I, I mean, if you just jab your partner right now, uh, you know, like you acknowledge, you know that they have sinned, okay? Um, there's, no, there's no question they have sinned. Your children, they have sinned. Your children could probably tell us some stories. You know, we have sinned. So this is just an objective reality. It's just the human nature. We are sinners. I heard somebody once say that the, 
the doctrine of total depravity, meaning that we've all we're just hopelessly lost. The doctrine of total depravity is the one verifiable evidence from Scripture that you can see on the nightly news every single night. I mean, we are living in a world that is without hope. We are living in a world, not just your sins and mine, but we live in a, a world that is racked by wars and disputes and anger. Mental illnesses, natural disasters, all of that is a result of sin. It is a huge mistake for us to live in sin. Your sin will destroy you. This is the kind of thing that you don't just regret. You fall on your face and cry out for, for help. This is a colossal blunder. You killed the source of life. Let that sink in for a minute. Point number two. Whom God raised from the dead. All right, I need to see some smiles on your face when I read that one. Whom God raised from from the dead. You blew it. You made a ridiculous choice. You, you sinned and violated God's law and, and rejected him and dishonored him. And you put Jesus on the cross because of your sin. Not sure what that was, but something's going on here at the, here at the front. But the wonderful... News, and I guess you could say the plot twist here. The plot twist is that God raised him from the dead. See, you killed the source of life, but God raised him from the dead. Amen. Man, that, that stupid regret, that, that dumb thing that I said, or that, that silly you know, argument I got in that I wish I could take back. I mean, those are, those are things you wish you could take back, and sometimes you see those you know, forgiveness, and, and, and you're restored in, in these silly blunders that we make throughout life but this one this one there was nothing we could have done there's nothing we could have done about it we are all sinners we all deserve the death penalty for our crimes against God but God raised Jesus from the dead you know I um, I like to watch movies some of you like movies uh, I really have been enjoying all of the Marvel Universe movies okay uh, it, it, can I, uh, you don't have to say amen on that one, but, uh, um, I, I love the Marvel superhero, you know, action, action movies, Iron Man, there's like three of those, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's Thor and a couple of movies for him, and I mean, there's just all these movies that have come out, and every one of them has been a smash hit, I mean, they've just been blockbuster, uh, kind of movies that everybody is, is talking about. Um, even beforehand and after and everything. I was, uh, you know, our kids obviously are too young to watch those kinds of movies, but, um, but they love those action figures. They love those because they know the stories. Maybe they've read a comic book or they've seen the stories in a coloring book or something like that, and they, they know the stories. And the thing about a movie like that, the reason why we like it so much, although not so much with the most recent one, uh, is, is that there's always hope. It's something... 
Something is going to happen and the heroes are going to win, right? There, there's always a, a, a moment in the movie where the bottom just falls out and everything is going wrong. I mean, aliens are coming down from the skies. Um, you know, people are, are, are fighting and, and it just looks hopeless. I mean, this, the enemy has discovered some secret weapon and it, it's just like terrorizing the whole, you know, it's not just like a couple of people are in trouble. It's the whole city or in some cases... The entire world, you know, everybody is, it, you can't make the stakes any bigger. It's just this colossal, you know, problem. And the reason why we love these movies is because against all odds, you know, Iron Man will come in and Thor will come in and, and all these superheroes will come in and they'll start working together for the first time. And, and all of a sudden they are victorious and the movie resolves. And, and we all clap and we leave the theater. We're like, oh, that was such a great movie. Because there was this, this giant problem and the heroes solved it. Well, do you realize that almost every movie plot is the same? Um, I hope I can share this. My wife likes Hallmark movies. All right. Um, I'll be honest. I, I like a couple of them as well. Okay. Uh, my, my friend Erin is in one this, uh, this afternoon on Up TV, by the way, just a shout out to her. One of my friends from college is, is in one of those movies. Um, so we're DVRing that so we can watch it. But, you know, Hallmark movies, completely different genre, but it has the same plot. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, a, a Hallmark movie, or really any kind of romantic movie, um, there's usually sort of this interest, like people are interested, in, this man or woman are interested in each other, they, they go out on a few dates, but then there's a big problem. They get in an argument. There's just this big, huge uh, mess of the relationship, and now all of a sudden everybody is, you know, trying to figure out how to salvage and put back to, together the pieces of this relationship, and it's just, it's just rocky, and everything is going horribly, and then that's the problem. But then there's a big solution where the, 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 the couple come back together and they finally resolve their differences and they work through it and they, it, it, it ends on this happy ending. And I, I recognize not every movie has a happy ending. Some people today are trying to push the envelope a little bit because they're like, well, that's not really real life. But that's the kind of story we want. And that's why so many movies have that same plot. I mean, there's like the beginning, and then there's the problem, and then there's the resolution to the problem, and then roll the credits. Right? It may be a romance, it may be a superhero, it might be an action movie, it, 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 whatever it is, there was a big problem. You can't even see what the solution is going to be, but then somehow it's resolved. Well, the reason why I say this is because... Every movie, almost virtually every movie, gets that plot from our story. They get the plot from our story because everybody has this, this desire within us that if there's a problem, we want to know what the solution is. We, we see the, the, the horrors of, of life and we see the problems around us and we want to see what the resolution is. We want to see what the solution is going to be. And we see this in our movies over and over again because this is a deep-seated hunger of all of humanity. We want that story to conclude that way. And what we're seeing in the story of Jesus is the supreme plot twist. 
we're seeing the greatest example of the, the resolution of the story, that things are resolved. It's, it's more spectacular than a Marvel movie. It's, there's more love on display on the cross of Jesus and the resurrection than in a Hallmark movie. There's more to it. It's a great story. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in his son Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see that word reconcile? That, that he is reconciling everything to himself, it says in Colossians 1. 19 and 20. The problem that existed where you killed the source of life and you are sinners and you are dead in your trespasses and sins and you have violated the, the commands of God and you deserve the death penalty. And that death penalty is not just a death in this life, but it is eternal separation from God in a fiery place called hell for eternity. That is what is at stake. This isn't just some alien movie. All right where you're hoping that the heroes come in. No, this is big. You could not have made a bigger mistake in shaking your fist at God. And yet there could not have been a better solution or reconciliation than what Jesus did by offering himself that he made peace through his blood that he shed on the cross. I love the passage in Philippians 2 where it says in verses 8 through 11, Philippians 2, 8 through 11, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And can you just imagine, I mean, we've talked about how Jesus is the, is the son of God. That's what we believe. He's the son of God and he died. I mean, that's a big thing. It's not just like, I mean, this is the Son of God dying on a cross. He humbled himself. He made himself available to us, took on flesh so that he might die in our place. And, and listen to the, the plot twist in Philippians 2, 8. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross, for this reason. It was for the reason of him being willing to submit himself to the tortures and excruciating pain of the cross that it was for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's an amazing plot twist. I mean, Jesus was dead. When you die, you don't come back from that. And you know what? You were dead. You were dead in your sins, according to Ephesians 2. You're dead. You, you don't have any hope. There's nothing you can do. You can't write God a check and say, hey, yeah, you know, just, just keep a little something for yourself. And, and you know, just hope, hope that he'll kind of look with favor on you. No, you're dead. There's, there's nothing you can do. But this amazing plot twist, this turn of events where there's this huge colossal problem, but then God 
in his sovereign plan, raised his son from the dead. Point number three, we are witnesses of this. And I'm not just telling you what the Bible says, which that's why you came, that's why we're here, that's what we do here. We talk about what the Bible says, but I'm also telling you what many of us and myself, what we've experienced. See, you killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of the fact that Jesus is alive. Amen. Okay, so what we find here in this message that Peter and John give to the, to the Jews 2,000 years ago is he's saying you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And he's saying we are witnesses of this. Now, Peter and John were eyewitnesses. But nevertheless, you and I, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone and asked uh, and repented of our sins and asked him to forgive us of our sins, then you and I, those of us who have faith in him, we have experienced his resurrection. Because we have been given new life. We have been raised to walk in a way that is full of life, abundance of life, eternal life. Amen. And so we have witnessed this. See, it says in 2 Corinthians, well, first of all, let me say, um, John, Jesus even said this to his disciples before he died and rose again. He said to them, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You and I are not eyewitnesses. We didn't physically see Jesus die on the cross and rise again, but we, we see that it is a reasonable assertion to, to say that Jesus did die on that cross and that because we believe him to be the son of God that he did in fact rise from the dead. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that's why our, uh, our uh, whole relationship with Jesus is dependent on faith. It's by faith. It's by believing in him. And that's why we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. It says, For God, who said, the same God who spoke the world into existence, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you have faith in him, then not only can you be absolved of your colossal blunder, of your sin that, sin, that separates you from God, not only can you be forgiven of that and reconciled and restored to faith, to, to our creator. But you can become a witness. You can be a, become one who testifies to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And that he is the son of God. That he died on a cross and he rose again. 
you and I are witnesses of this. We believe this to be true because the same God who spoke the world into existence has spoken it into our hearts. And you can have assurance of faith that you are one of his witnesses. It's amazing because that word witness is the word that we get martyr from. And usually martyrs, what we mean when we use the word martyr, is someone who dies for their faith, right? They, they die because they witness something and they tell people about it and they, they die as a result of it. They're, they're a martyr for what they believe in because they died for it. Well, in this case, you killed the source of life. You were a murderer. You took life. You took the source of life. And you're guilty of that. But because of what God did by, God, by raising his son from the dead, you can be made not a murderer, but into a martyr. You can become a witness. You can be someone who would lay down your life for that person, rather than the one who committed the murder against him, the one who by your sins, you, you took the source of life. But now, because of the righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus, you can be one who has witnessed something so strong that if anybody challenged that in you, you would be willing to give your life for him. That's exactly the story of Paul. Remember, he was trying to kill all the Christians. He was trying to stamp out this new found faith. And yet when he met Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, when he met Jesus, he changed from a murderer to a martyr. He changed from someone who wanted to take the life of Jesus and the Christians who followed to someone who was witnessing <laughs> of the life of Jesus. So I pray that that transformation, if it hasn't already happened in your life, I pray that that transformation would happen now, that the Holy Spirit would convict you of your sin, help you recognize that you need a Savior, and that Jesus has offered himself as that Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. That you would become a strong witness, ready to give your life if necessary to spread this good news to the rest of the world. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for the wonderful gift of how you raised your son from the dead. You sent him to die on the cross. You knew he would, and, and Jesus, you didn't send him by force, but Jesus went willingly. And so we thank you for this wonderful sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we might be made right before you. Lord, help us to be bold witnesses to the truth of this, of this news that Jesus is alive. He is risen. And we thank you that we get to share and partake in the blessings of the glorious resurrection. Lord, help us to walk in new life. Help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, that we would walk as Jesus desires us to walk. Lord, help us to set aside the, the things of this world and, and walk as Christians ought to walk in love and grace and mercy. And so we pray, Lord, for the people in this room. If they are lost, if they are far from you, Lord, I pray that you would draw them close to yourself today and help assure them 
that by faith they can trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, and as, as we sing, I just want you to meditate and reflect.